Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. Your host, Michael Fragan and Phil Goldfutter away this week. And we are back from summer vacation, summer hiatus, and back on primary day in New York State. Yes, folks, uh, primary day. I think it's possible that our last episode before the summer break was also primary day. So you might ask yourself, why two primary days? Two primary days in New York State. And uh, it's a symbol. It's symbolic of New York politicians unable to agree on much. So we have two primary days. One for congressional primaries, which is in June. And for federal offices, I should say. Uh, So uh, U.S. Senate as well as the House of Representatives. And uh, we had a couple interesting races. If you recall the massive upset of Joe Crowley, uh, number four in the ha- Democratic House leadership, to old Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a political newcomer, a not quite pro-Israel New York politician, a very unusual. We'll get a little bit more to that a little bit later. And that was the big political earthquake. And if you don't realize what a political earthquake it is, it's been reverberating all the way for the last two months until today, which is state primary day. All the state and local offices throughout New York State have their primary today, September 13th. And it's a Thursday. So very unusual. Thursday primary, a function of Rosh Hashanah being this week on the Tuesday, also September 11th. And so we know today's September 13th, two days after September 11th, but uh, we don't like to hold elections on September 11th because of what happened 17 years ago. And uh, we should take a moment to reflect, of course, on that. As uh, time goes by, it becomes a little bit less uh, poignant, a little bit less powerful for some people out there. It's hard to imagine that somebody born after September 11th, this coming year, will be able to vote already or be able to enlist in the Army uh, or in the Armed Forces, I should say. So uh, it's quite extraordinary how long ago it was, but for many people, how short uh, short time it was. And uh, as one was there, it just uh, continues to reverberate uh, constantly. And we think about it and we think about... Uh, how we must always uh, be uh, vigilant about the wonderful country that we live in and the values that we hold dear. And it's a kind of a a shame and a a difficult commentary to see the way our politics are now and how divisive they were and how united the country was back then on so many issues. But uh, we'll leave that aside because, of course, elections are about conflict to whatever degree. They are about drawing contrast. They are about drawing... uh, divides amongst people and then hopefully Americans can come together afterward and uh, take the will of the majority. That unfortunately hasn't happened uh, after our elections of 2016. There are many people out there who do not want to accept the results, who do not feel that President Trump is legitimate for whatever reason and are doing everything they can to sabotage the administration, to sabotage the presidency and Unfortunately, sometimes, and I'll say sometimes because uh, I think um, certainly many Americans agree with me, uh, the president does a lot to help them uh, along those lines. And and it's unfortunate. I think it is extraordinary, before I get to the primaries, the level to which there's a disconnect between what's going on in the country 
which is an economic expansion, economic uh, you know employment expansion, an economy that is robust. Jer- certainly, jobs are available. Wages are rising. Forget about the tariff war, if you will. The stock market is doing fantastically. Americans are feeling more prosperous, yet at the same time, the president's approval ratings are extraordinarily underwater. And congressional approval ratings are extraordinarily underwater. And the generic ballot right now, that means if you ask somebody in a poll, or if you ask voters in the poll, come November, which is not that far away, it's uh, less than two months away, Come November, would you vote, forget about who's on the ballot, forget about the names of the people on the ballot, but the generic ballot, Republican or Democrat, when you get to the polls, and it's an, it's a very wide right now, about 12 to 14 point lead for Democrats in that poll. Let me say it again, 14 point generic ballot lead. Now, the Republicans have a structural advantage in the House because of the way districts are drawn and because of the rural-urban divide, and we can... I can't get too far into that, but they have that generic, I'm sorry, they have that structural advantage when it comes to the U.S. House of Representatives, and they say about six, seven points would actually still, of a generic ballot lead, would still mean a Republican majority in the U.S. House of Representatives. Right now, it's about double that if you do the polling. Okay, so you want to discount, you want to say margin of error, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that lead is is huge right now uh, for Democrats, and it's only getting worse. I think Republicans are only have been hurting themselves uh, tremendously uh, right now. But you know, I don't want to get again too much into it. Uh, it looks like the House is very much in peril for the Republicans on the Senate side, which everybody thought to be safe. Uh, even Mitch McConnell, the majority leader of uh, the U.S. Senate. Republican leader, has said that we are in a knife fight. That's what his quote this past week, over this week, that we are in a knife fight for every race. And many races that were expected, we were expected that there were many blue state, I'm sorry, red state Democrats who were going to be very, very vulnerable, even in places like that Trump won, like Pennsylvania. You had Tom Casey, who's thought to be vulnerable, okay, uh, to a Trump-type candidate, Lou Barletta, challenging him. Uh, you had in Ohio, another state that Trump won. He actually won it quite handily. Uh, Sherrod Brown, very liberal member. You expected him to be vulnerable. Wisconsin, where Trump won. Again, Tammy Baldwin expected to be very vulnerable. Another pickup. And West Virginia, where you have an incumbent, where Trump won by 40 points. Joe Manchin expected to be very vulnerable. He's leading in the polls. Uh, Joe Donnelly in Indiana, also leading in the polls by a smaller margin. But... We were expecting that there was gonna. This was actually going to be, despite some of the midterm issues. Meaning, when you look at the party that's in power, usually loses. We were expecting that Republicans were going to pick up some seats. Possibly, maybe they would lose in Nevada and lose in Arizona potentially, but still have a net pickup. That no longer necess- That no longer looks to be a sure thing, despite the preponderance of red state Democrats, of potentially vulnerable red state Democrats on the ballot. Claire McCaskill in Missouri looks like she's going to be okay. 
Right now, if you're looking at it, and it's less than eight weeks, and a lot of things don't change necessarily as you get into the fall season. A lot of it is baked in. A lot of it is pretty solid. Early voting in some states is going to start already in the, in a couple weeks. So it's almost as if the election is already here, and Republicans are panicking, and they're panicking for good reason uh, on a lot of fronts. But let's uh, let's talk about New York for a second, because there's a couple of crucial races out there. And uh, because Phil's not here, and he's our resident Democrat expert, uh, I'm not going to pontificate so much because I don't like to meddle in other parties' business. But uh, we got to talk for a second and tell everybody what's at stake here. If you are a registered Democrat and only it's, New York State only has closed primaries, so you can only go ahead and vote in your own party's primary. In addition to that, New York State has very, very restrictive laws about changing your primary, so changing your voter registration. So you would have had to register about a year ago to change your party affiliation so uh in order to do that so you would have to register by election day of last year meaning 2017 in order to become a democrat republicans really for the most part do not have primaries but the big one is uh andrew cuomo governor andrew cuomo running for a third term against cynthia nixon a celebrity uh star running to his left and nixon uh Launched a spirited campaign. I'm not sure how effective her campaign has been. And more than a surgeon, maybe progressive. Cuomo right now, according to polling, leads by about 40 points, which is in uh, and across all demographic groups. Quite quite extraordinary how he has uh, has done this campaign without the presence of his longtime most trusted political aide, Joe Prococo, who was convicted of corruption. Now. I would say that this that issue has not been played enough. I don't think it's up in the public's consciousness that there has been these uh, corruption trials and convictions and guilty pleas of senior, very senior administration officials. But uh, Cuomo has done a very masterful political thing by really essentially not running against Cynthia Nixon, but running against Donald Trump. And the president is quite, despite being a New Yorker, is quite unpopular amongst New Yorkers, particularly amongst the New York Democrats. And he has made this issue about him who is going to fight Trump. And if you look at it, Andrew Cuomo seems, at least from the ads, to be uniquely positioned to fight Trump. So we'll see. I mean, the, the Nixon people seem to say, don't look at the polls. Look at the fact that the progressive wave is coming. It's not just a blue wave. It's a progressive wave. Democrats have moved in her direction. They are looking at how uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and others have done. And last week, there was a primary in Massachusetts where a progressive unseated a longtime incumbent for Congress. And look at that, and therefore, Cynthia Nixon has a chance. I will say, it's not just, it's not just whether the governor wins the primary. I think he will win the primary. Uh, I think that that's, uh, but I don't think, know that the margin is going to be the margin that he's looking for to launch his 2020 presidential run. And if, you, if you're really looking at this, he's kind of looking at like the Chris Christie type numbers. Like Chris Christie knew he was going to win, but he when he ran for a second term, but he wanted to run up the score in order to position himself for 2016 to run for president. And that kind of seems like what Cuomo is doing. Now, there have been some significant missteps on Cuomo's part. Number one, uh, this week, he went to open the Mario Cuomo Bridge, the second leg of it, formerly known as the Tappan Zee Bridge. And it seems that he rushed the opening to his point that they actually couldn't open it because it wasn't safe. And, you know, 
course, we're doing this. No, no politics involved. But more importantly, I guess from a Jewish perspective, is the campaign sent out a mailing this past week to hit right before Rosh Hashanah. And it was a mailing about Cynthia Nixon and whether she was, or condoned anti-Semitism, whether she was pro-BDS or not. Now, it does seem, according to a letter, that Cynthia Nixon did once upon a time, uh, I believe back in 2010, sign on to a boycott of Israel, cultural boycott, artist boycott of Israel, and said that you should boycott some Israeli dance troupe, and she joined on with a number uh, of New York celebrities. So, I don't know that she has recanted, rescinded, etc., but let me say it here. If you support BDS, if you support the boycott of the state of Israel to the exclusion of any other country on this earth, that to me is anti-Semitism. That to me is an economic war against Israel. That is saying that we are singling out Israel amongst all the other countries on earth. Israel is not the worst practitioner of human rights. You have next door a man who has slaughtered millions of his people, Bashar al-Assad. Now, I understand you don't, we, don't have, we don't get that much from Syria, but it's to say that Israel deserves, uh, that we should boycott Israel and boycott Israeli artists and Israeli professors and Israeli technology. First of all, it's absurd. Is anybody not going to stop using your GPS, stop using Waze in order to get around traffic? Are you going to stop using generic drugs because you're boycotting Teva? I mean, how many Israeli, how are you going to stop using computers because all your cybersecurity comes from Israel? Uh, I mean, I can go on and on and on about all the Israeli technology that we use on our daily knives, whether it is in medicine, agriculture, computers, software, I mean, etc. But she did join in that boycott. Of Israel, And remember as well, the BDS movement does not believe in a two-state solution. They do not believe that Israel should exist. The BDS movement, in general, Jewish Voices for Peace, Students for Justice in Palestine, the international BDS movement believes in a one-state solution. They believe that Israel has no right to exist as a Jewish state, that we must end the state of Israel. Now, I don't know if that there's, there, that might not be entirely monolithic. There might be other people within who support BDS who actually do think uh, that Israel, that there should be a two-state solution. But leaving that aside. Now, was the mailer inaccurate? I truthfully, I'm happy that Andrew Cuomo, at least even for political purposes, is willing to take on anti-Semitism and the BDS movement in his party. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez got on TV and gave a TV interview and talked about the you know Israeli occupied, the occupation regime. Uh, the, you know, the occupation of Palestine. Right, not even mincing words. She basically said Israel occupies Palestine, like as if there is a Palestine. You know, right now there is no state of Palestine, and there is there are there is a Democrat running um, running for the House who looks like that she's going to win. <coughs> Excuse me, of Somali origin, Islamic Somali, and she she uh, is on record calling Israel evil, an evil occupier. And I should go on about Democrats and on the, now there are Republicans on the right. Um, who are outright anti-Semitic, who have said things about Jews that are offensive and horrible, and the party, for the most part, has denounced them. Andrew Cuomo has not taken the time to denounce them, and now, hopefully, he, he will. Let's put it that way. I mean, I'm hoping that that, in fact, the case. I would like him to go way beyond Cynthia Nixon and say that the BDS movement is not acceptable as part of platform of the Democratic 
party in California this past convention over this year in California the the Democratic Party as part of their convention platform declined to support anti-BDS legislation the New York State Assembly despite the fact that the New York State Senate has passed for the last several years anti-BDS legislation saying that New York State should not do business with companies that boycott Israel, the New York State Assembly has declined to pass this legislation. So there is a problem in the Democratic Party. It is there. And this mailer definitely says, now the coordinated counterattack, which has been quite masterful on the left towards Cuomo, which has put him back on his heels and put him on the defensive, what comes from very politically savvy left-leaning quarters, Rabbi Sharon Kleinbaum of Congregation Bessem Katara, a activist, LGBTQ synagogue with her wife or husband, I'm not sure, Randy Weingarten, who is the head of the American Federation, uh, sorry, the United Federation of Teachers, who is the, uh, or American Federation, whichever, one of them, the Teachers Union, nationwide. She is about politically savvy as they come and has said, well, Cynthia Nixon raising her children as Jews, she can't possibly be excuse me, can't possibly be called anti-Semitic. Okay, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. There are plenty of Jews out there who say things that are could be construed as anti-Israel, anti-Zionist, and anti-Semitic. And look what's going on in the UK right now with the Labour Party, which has essentially refused to adopt the international, well, sorry, finally adopted the international definition of anti-Semitism to say that singling out the state of Israel for boycott is a form of anti-Semitism, and, or to say that the Jew, that the Jewish people are not entitled to a state of their own is anti-Semitism, and that's what the BDS movement does and says. Period. Full stop. That's what it is, and we should call them out on it. And unfortunately, Cuomo, because he's afraid to the left. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, Cuomo, who's that's the problem doing the show by yourself. You can't get a break, so you have to go ahead and take a clear the throat. Because he's afraid for the left, doesn't want to call it. His back is nervous about the mailer who approved it. And unfortunately, our friend David Lobel seems to have become the fall guy for this, who left the governor's office uh, a couple months ago. David Lobel, fantastic guy. And uh, seems to be taking the brunt of this mailer. Now, Cuomo, of course, announced a couple months ago that he was going to go to Israel and then promptly the same week said, oh, I'm not going because it's too dangerous. I'm a little bit upset about that. But let's uh, but let's talk about that. Okay, so we have we have the governor's primary out there. I think it's a question of numbers. The governor's probably not going to lose. But let's see what the turnout is. Turnouts in this are usually anemic, hovering around 10 percent, which is uh, which is crazy when you think about it. 10 percent of Democrats are going to go ahead and decide who their nominee is going to be. Even smaller percentage of registered voters. Really, uh, really upsetting the level, uh, the lack of participation that we have in our elections. Number two is lieutenant governor primary. Now, why does this matter? Who cares about the lieutenant governor? Well, we have a very competitive primary between city councilman Jumani Williams, who is a far left progressive, uh, and Kathy Hochul, a congresswoman from upstate New York, former congresswoman who is the current lieutenant governor. Now, if Jumani Williams, who has a strong base in New York City, uh, who is African-American, happens to win, that would totally scramble uh, Andrew Cuomo's ticket because you run in the general election as a ticket together, as it, but you run separately in the primary 
to create that ticket. And Andrew Cuomo was only on the ballot in several, par- several minor party lines. Together with Hochul, they would have to figure out how to get it off. Now, the most interesting race in the state right now is the one for attorney general. That most interesting primary, a four-year primary. I'll just, in order, in no particular order, Alicia Eve from upstate New York, from Buffalo. Uh, she is a former economic development official as well as uh, other... And she is mired, I think, in 2 3%. Uh, not going to be a factor. But the, what's interesting is the other three, it's a three-way tie. Zephyr Teachout, who has run for governor, who has run for Congress, uh, both unsuccessfully, known as a darling of the left, Bernie Sanders left, anti-corruption guru and maven. Then you have Letitia James, Tish James, who seems to be the favorite of the Orthodox community, at least according to ads all over the place. Tish James... Uh, and nobody else has made an, a play really for the Orthodox vote, which I think is particularly, particularly interesting. And but we'll leave that uh, for a different time, as we are. But Tish James, who is the public advocate of New York City, thought to have a base in the African American and Latino communities and in New York City. Sean Patrick Maloney, a congressman from the Hudson Valley, uh, looked here as the more moderate influence within this race. All three are basically tied within the margin of error. Somebody could come out of this primary race with 30% of the vote uh, very easily since it's a four-way race and be the winner. And of course, that's 30% of the, let's say, 10% of voters who actually show up, which is, uh, which again, once again, absurdly low numbers expected. Uh, that's why your vote cost counts that much, that much more if you come out and vote today and you, come, you go out and vote. So let's just say that... Let's just say, uh, you know, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. It's anybody's guess with what what might happen in this uh, attorney general's race. But because it's an open seat and because Eric Schneiderman had to resign because of scandal, uh, yet another New York state politician having to resign because of scandal, uh, he had to, it's an open seat. There is a potentially opening, depending on who, uh, for the Republican, Keith Wilford, uh, who is a uh, Harvard, from upstate Buffalo, Harvard-educated lawyer, and a partner in a New York State law, a New York City law firm, uh, certainly somebody who, with the legal experience, right now, and we'll have to see how the race shapes up and how it looks afterward. Now, if Sean Patrick Maloney wins this primary, he's also on the ballot for Congress, and it's kind of unclear what the law says whether he, he can't run for both offices. He would have to, he said he would run for AG and leave the congressional ballot. This would leave the office potentially wide open for his current Republican challenger potentially, or they might be able to get another person on the ballot. We are not sure. There's no way to know exactly what's going to happen hypothetically until it actually happens. And we will be watching that over the coming weeks. Okay, let me just get to the most important race, I think, from the, and even if you don't live in Brooklyn, this is an incredibly important race, and not because I think he's going to lose, but Simcha Felder, uh, an Orthodox Jewish state senator, who is a Democrat who caucuses with the Republicans, who is the titular, who is the deciding vote. He is the fulcrum. He decides who controls the state Senate currently. If he were to switch sides and go to the Democrats, the Democrats would control the state Senate. Uh, Simon Felder, who has stead, been steadfast, been a champion of uh, education uh, for the yeshiva community, for the day school community, is under attack not just really by his challenger, Blake Morris, who is a relatively unknown uh, person, but also by the New York State Democratic Party, which actually has threatened to expel him for caucusing now. Now, um, 
bottom line is, you know, you, do you have to, just because you're a member party, do you have to be in lockstep? Do you have to buy into their entire agenda? I mean, they don't want him. They want to throw him out of the party. I mean, fine, he's run on the Republican and conservative lines again, but again, he calls himself a Democrat, and he should be entitled to do that. Now, will the Orthodox community come out in big numbers to support him? They should. They obviously should, and it's two days after Rosh Hashanah, so that's obviously a tough time. Uh, if he needs big numbers to show that the community really cares and backs him up and has his back on the issues that he cares about because he has taken so much heat over the last couple months for his courageous stance on behalf of the Orthodox community that it is imperative that if you live in the uh, 17th Senate District that you come out and vote for Simcha Felder today, primary day. It is absolutely crucial to show that you care, that yeshiva education is important to you, and the funny thing is, of course, this is all tying into the Yafed thing, is that, well, we have to raise really Simcha Felder stands in the way, and this is a vote for... I mean, that's... This gentleman running, Blake Morris running against Simcha Felder is against our community on all the issues. Don't be fooled into think, oh, he wants higher standards. He wants oversight of our education system. And, you know... I'm not against that, but the state doesn't want to pay for it. So they want to raise standards. They want education. They want all these things, but they don't want to go ahead and give our schools the money because they because the interests in Albany fight against every dollar that we get, that our yeshivas get, that our yeshiva community gets in Albany, no matter what it is. So if you stand together and if you support yeshiva education, if you support the front community on all the issues, you must go out and vote today. If you live in Flatbush or in Borough Park, you must go out and vote for Simcha Felder. Uh, even if you don't care about Democrats, even if you don't care, you don't feel yourself, even if you're a registered Democrat and you don't feel yourself connected with the Democrats because of all the issues the Democrats just have, you must go out in this Democratic primary anyway to do so. It is imperative for that to happen. And as well, there are other state senate issues, and I'm going to close with this, the former Independent Democratic Conference. Ridiculous deal that these guys made. I'll just leave it aside. They folded themselves into the, into the regular Democrat conference with the promise, essentially, that there wouldn't be any primaries against them. And these are the former uh, centrist Democrats uh, in the state senate who were... Uh, who had caucused with, who had supported the Republican control of the conference because the the Democratic conference, the regular Democrats, have been so dysfunctional for so long. Leave that commentary aside. They all have primaries right now, and some of them might lose. Politically, I don't understand what Jeff Klein and his group got out of this. I just don't get it. Maybe Phil can explain it to me at a later date, and we'll see what happens. We'll pick up the aftermath, hopefully, next week here on the Nachum Siegel Network. This is Spin Class Michael Fragan signing off. Please go out and vote. If you are a Democrat in New York State, please go out and vote today. Primary day, September 13th. The polls are open till 9 p.m. Do the right thing. Do your civic duty. See you next week here on the Knock'em Single Network.